So the mission statement for Rose to Hope is an organization designed to help today's youth establish social, emotional, academic, and spiritual balance in their lives. Mentees will get to network with some of the most successful individuals in their respective fields and obtain opportunities that will enable them to move forward toward their dreams. The founder, Miss Hillary, believes in empowering each of her kids that's in quotes, to reach for their the highest star and in teaching them that they, not their circumstances, determine their future and the effect they will have on the world. Every mentee is a rose waiting to bloom. And even the title reminds me of Tupac's The Rose That Grew From Concrete. So... And um, if you look into the organization even more, and I'll put the link in the show notes, you'll see most of these quote-unquote kids, these young adults, are um, of color as well. So it's just such such an important organization, um, and I'm so proud of everything that she's doing over there, and I really can't wait to support. So please go ahead. We're I didn't even say what we're doing, so we're raffling the bags off. Um, each raffle ticket is five dollars. Uh, you can contact me directly, or I'm actually posting it on, like I said, our Facebook, the Breakup Speakup Facebook. Facebook page and Instagram pages where you can literally um you can put an entry in for which each bag that you like um so for example if you bought four it's twenty dollars donation and you can put your name under the bags that you want to um enter for so you could put it under all bags or one bag or two bags however you want to work it out that way but head on over to our Instagram or our Facebook page and you'll see more information you'll see how cute the bags are because they're really adorable so yeah so that's what this episode is all about and once again it is an inspiration one i'm trying to talk fast because we went long within the interview itself so enjoy and like i mentioned in the beginning if this is a value to to you please share girlfriend that is the only way we're going to be able to spread the message about this podcast so share 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 um and until next time girlfriend when i shine you shine we shine together enjoy the episode talk soon bye Hey, girlfriends, welcome to the show. I have a special guest for you today. I am here with Hillary Vargas, the uh, founder and president of Rose to Hope. And we are going to talk about a nonprofit organizations and how she got started into it and, and all the good stuff. So welcome, Hillary. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to be a part of this. Me too. All right. So I, I, I kind of explained to you, we kind of keep the podcast short and condensed. So we're going to do what we can within this episode. But I feel like talking about nonprofits is such a big thing because people really don't realize what it takes to start a nonprofit organization and all that it entails. So I would love for you just to let us know what is Rose to Hope? What is it? So Rose to Hope is uh, my nonprofit, a nonprofit organization. We're a 501c, so that means that legally we have the stamp from the United States government saying that we are a legal nonprofit. And it's like you said, it's people don't realize how hard it is, especially for like the smaller kind of, I call them like the underground nonprofits, not like the big ones we hear, because those are like 20 plus years and then they have like it's sort of like they have executives and corporations we are literally um five years in next year will be our sixth year that we had our 501c um but I've been teaching and mentoring for 15 years um but it took a process of about two years and a half to file so you have to file with the state then you have to pay a couple of fees 
Um, I'll be honest with you, I was kind of naive at first because I this is not, I didn't go to school for this. This is not what I thought I was going to be. But as in life journeys, it was what I found my purpose and my calling was. And I didn't have anyone to guide me or, or sort of leave me kind of just Google and I threw myself at it. Um, but you have to hire a lawyer and the lawyer helps you fill out this kind of like, 20 page uh, filing and then you have to pay um, each state is different but then you have to pay certain fees certain government fees state fees and then you wait <laughs> and hope that you get it they could always turn around and say no um, so for us it took about two and a half years to get it mm -hmm. um, and then after that then we could publicize it and obviously say we're a 501c we're tax exempt nonprofit. And we've been doing this for the last five years. So it's been really exciting, but it is hard. It is hard because a lot of people, um, you kind of are, are fighting for the cause, for the mission, for people to understand what you're doing and why it's so important. Um, and kind of comparing to other nonprofits out there. So you're also learning marketing, branding, fundraiser. <laughs> I never, you know, I always had a hard thing asking for money. Like I didn't understand that concept and I kind of felt guilty about it. So you have to learn you know that um they're really gracious people that would donate their time or, or items or money and it's for a cause so as long as you educate them that they're willing to help out so you're learning all this i kind of threw myself to the wolves and i've been learning i still am learning but it's definitely not something that it sounds easy but it's not easy <laughs> <laughs> and I have a question with that. So you said five years in. So the two and a half years, is that included within the five years of you founding? Uh, no, no, okay. no, no, no. I kind of say the five years once we got the stamp okay. of like, okay, you're 501c and then we can, you know, we were still doing the mentoring program. It's just the 501c is great because it's like any business, right? It's the legalization of it. Um, you can now um sort of get you know you can apply for grants you can get taxes and receipts um companies like amazon does for charities or 501c they give a percentage back out of all purchases so you are more entitled to more opportunities out there without the 501c it's it's really really hard mm. but what i didn't realize um really quick and i'll share this at first we did it with our lawyer and somebody has said, hey, I'll help you out. And it was just a disaster. And I ended up having to lose all that money that I paid because they wrote my name wrong. <laughs> True story. No. So I lost all my savings. That's the other thing. Like it costs a lot. Like I don't even like in the thousands. And I lost all my savings. At the time I had wasn't making a lot of money. I was like, I had to save up. I was a teacher back then. So I was making about 30,000. And then I got demoted and was making 15,000. So you can only imagine my saving wasn't like, it was a lot. So I was, I trusted this person. I will help you. But that one error, she spelled my name without the two L's. Oh. I had to then get another, get a legit lawyer who actually knew we file everything. So that's why our period grace took two and a half years. And I'll be honest, I kind of was questioning if this is what I wanted to do because it cost so much time and money. And it was so disheartening to like be like, oh, really? <laughs> and then obviously you can't get the money back. No. So um, so we actually, this nobody, not a lot of people know this, but we actually refiled twice to be where we are now. Wow. Well, congratulations that you're the you. second time around. What made you go into this though, creating a nonprofit in the first place? Like what were you doing before? 
So that's a great question. I love sharing that because so I grew up with a single mom. My parents immigrated from Colombia and we didn't have much growing up. Then my father left when I was about 10 years old and we were just kind of caught up um, with our father. My father was a financial provider. So my mom had to figure out what to do. You know, I was 10. My brother at the time was like four and uh, we lost everything. And so then from there, we went to low housing. And we got food stamps and I saw my mom really, really struggling. Um, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, which is an immune disease. And then my brother had severe depression. <laughs> so not only was she a single Latina mother, but now she had two kids that were both with illnesses. And we were in a, in a neighborhood where we kind of, we weren't getting the support that we needed. And so I grew up knowing what struggle was firsthand. I also grew up knowing that, you know, not a lot of people want to help you or get to know your story. You're judged based on appearance. And it only took one teacher. My one teacher that I still talk to today, Miss Abertis, she was my English teacher and she took an interest in me. And she was just like, one day she saw, I just couldn't move my hands. Um, and she just asked me like, what is going on? And I just like broke down and cried to her. And I told her I have this illness, you know, my father, there was a craziness with my dad, my mom, and I kind of just vented to her. I know it felt so good to like tell a person. Now I grew up in a Latina culture, in a household where it was like, you don't talk to anyone, therapy's taboo, you don't ask for help, you don't trust people. So I kept all my emotions and all my feelings to myself. Obviously looking back, I mean, I was also a kid dealt with all these deck of cards, not knowing how to like deal with them, just, you know, stay quiet. Like my mom will literally tell me, stay quiet. Um, and obviously I don't blame her because she taught me what she knew. And she did the best she could with what she had. So the basis of a lot of who I became now is basis of my own experiences. Then when I went to college, so I was fortunate enough to work my butt off in high school. I wasn't the best student academically. I have also learning disabilities, but I know I wanted out. I wanted out so bad for my neighborhood. And I knew that college was kind of my only way out of my house and kind of figuring out who I was as a young woman. So I got a full scholarship and I left to Rhode Island. Um, those four years were extremely hard. Sophomore year, I became homeless. I kind of was couch surfing for a while. I almost, you know, it was like always all these obstacles and adversities, but because I was a low income student, I did um, what's called work study. And so the university gives you a grant and it's called work. So you get like 10 hours a week and you get to choose either to work in their offices or to do community service. I chose to do community service. And I worked at a local YMCA that um, worked with uh, infants to pre-K and there were kids from very um, low income families and I fell in love like my life was chaotic between going to school full-time and then I was also working full-time because I supported myself and also tried to help my mom with what I could but I, I realized it was the only time that I was extremely happy happy in a sense that I didn't question it and I think that was really special because before that, um, I was always into business and fashion, and I was always hustling and grinding, getting internships here and working in the shows and in New York. And although I loved it, I wasn't purely happy, but I didn't know how to vocalize that. 
because everything for me was like, you got to make money, you got to get good benefits, you got to get, you know, my mom would be like, be secure, yeah, you know, the uh, exactly everything that we're taught, but I wasn't happy, like, it wasn't like a soul, like, I wasn't like content, and I was like, well, I guess this is what I have to do, um, but then I worked with the kids, and it was like something switched, and I just like, I just truly, truly fell madly in love with the work. Then I went through the process of, of going to college. I graduated and at the time I was really like really fighting within myself. I had worked so hard and built a reputation in New York City that I, I had a job lined up, six figure job lined up with a showroom. Um, and it's kind of what I had aspired and worked so hard towards, but something in my heart and my gut was like, you're not gonna be happy. You need to turn it down. And I was like, how do I do this? Like that's money, you know, my, my family's in New Jersey. So the day I graduated, my mom came for the graduation and I was like, mom, I love you, but I, I think I need to stay. And I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something with teaching. And she was like, you're crazy. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're going to be poor. All this four years of struggling, la, 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 la. So I had mentioned it to a friend. I did AmeriCorps. So instead of going into the job, I did AmeriCorps, which is um, kind of like the Peace Corps, but the government pays for you. I, my first year out of college, I made $10,000 and I was on food stamps, but I was so happy. Like, I was working like 70 hours a week, but I was meh. Like I was, I was exhausted physically, but mentally, spiritually, I was happy. And so I worked with first graders and middle school kids. And then I was like, you know, getting my feet wet in the educational system, working in inner city schools. And I was like, wow, like, I'm just, I love my kids. But then I saw there was a lack of mentorship. There was a lack of empathy and compassion towards the kids. Um, I think there's phenomenal teachers, but I also think that there's a lack of training, uh, representation of color. I noticed that a lot of the inner city schools that I worked, I worked at about four, five in my kind of year, 15 years, um, I always would be one of color. And I had an issue with that. Um, and I was like, well, why do we not have more, you know, African-American teachers? Why don't we have any more Asian teachers, Latin, like Latinos, like what is going on? And so there was kind of like this divisive division. Um, and then also like just being able to talk to my families in Spanish. And so I did school, I did taught for four years and I did TA and I did, I, I just so happened that I had a connection with the kids that were kind of tossed to the side. The kids with learning disability, the kids with behavior issues, those were my favorites. And I know I tell this all the time, but I'm like, they're tough on the outside, but they're teddy bears on the inside, the biggest hearts. And a lot of them just need someone to say, hey, like, I understand you, talk to me. Like, I'm gonna respect you, you respect me. And that's how I always taught. Like, I always tell the kids, don't give me respect if I don't respect you. Respect is earned. So not because I'm the adult and I'm the teacher, give it to me. So they were like, what? So we earned each other's respect. They knew I would never disrespect them. We may disagree because, you know, at the time there, I was known for the miscellary speeches, but they knew it came out of a place of love and we knew we could respect each other. But then I was just, again, like I went through so much in the educational system. Like I got written off for having, for, ta for taking a card of a family, you know, like it was just, it was really bad. It was really, really bad. Like the teachers, just some of the stuff they were telling my kids, like, hey, like you're in English class, but because your language is Spanish, like your first language is Spanish, you're like horrible. Like this is how some of the teachers were talking to some of my kids. And I be honest with you, I rebelled and I advocated and I was the one that got in trouble. Now I entered schooling when I was 24. So I was young <laughs> and I was, I couldn't believe behind closed doors, what we were teaching our kids and how we were 
not building their confidence and how we were destroying that confidence. I was like, no. And I didn't know what to do. My last year of teaching, I got into an accident. I fell on and I had a tear meniscus. So I had to take some time off. And I was like, I, there was something in me that I was like tearing apart. Like I love teaching. I love my kids, but I hated the educational system. I hated the politics, the politics of it. I'm not good at, at ass kissing. I don't know if I can say that, but I'm not good at ass kissing. I'm not good in, in, in if I don't believe something is right of staying quiet. And that's kind of like, they always told you like, be quiet because you can lose your job. And, and like, don't say anything because the principal's listening. And I'm like, no, but like, how are you going to tell my kid and suspend him without listening to his side? Like, you have to listen. We have to start understanding that our kids outside these doors go through so much traumatic experiences like of course they're angry and they're upset and they're sad I remember I had a student who was misbehaving and I took her and I was like Samantha what's going on she was like I just came to my house yesterday Miss Hillary and took my father in front of me and instead of them asking her they just were like oh well now she's a bad kid I'm like they're a kid I truly believe it's when a kid starts misbehaving or stays really quiet, it's an outcry. They were just not teaching them how to vocalize it. And of course, I mean, she was 15. It's traumatic for anyone. If somebody comes in and rips your one of your parents without explanation, and now you're just like, well, what's going to happen? And she couldn't even speak to her father for six months because <laughs> they deported him and they couldn't find him. So these were kind of the situations that I was dealt. And I was like, if you just talk to these kids with compassion, they will respect you and they will listen. So when I had the accident, a friend of mine challenged me, was like, well, what are you going to do about it? I was like, I don't know. I don't want to go back to teaching, but I miss my kids. So she was like, you got to do something about it. And then just like, start your own thing. I'm like, I don't even know. What does that, what does that look like? <laughs> well, start your own thing. And so I had just so happened started a mentoring program in the after school of the schools where I would do one-on-one, where I would do creative uh, classes, like hip-hop classes, like business classes. I noticed that if my kids unfortunately some of them were selling on the street they had good business skills so if I can get them off the of the street and teach them business hey like that's entrepreneurship just teaching them legal ways to like I I could I could see a kid and what others saw in them the negative I saw as a positive and then I turned that around to something like hey this could be a career college is not for everyone but that could be trade school that could be cosmetology that could be you know some of my girls knew how to do makeup I'm like that's a career in that. And instead of saying, well, you're a failure, well, you suck, or you're Latino, you're black and, and all this stuff, they start believing it. And that's where Rose to Hope came to be. Um, I was just like, okay, I guess I started Googling researching. I really had no idea. Nonprofit came up and I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And then the first two years were really hard. <laughs> because <laughs> I, and like the person was like, I'll help you. And then totally failure. And then I realized I was naive to think that my passion and my advocacy of why we need to support our young people, everyone would understand. And the truth is that not everyone does or cares enough. And so it was my job till this day to educate people and show them with my kids that they are extraordinary human beings and we need them. We need them for our kids because they are the future leaders, but because they're the next entrepreneurship and the scientists. And one of them could be the next Black president or the next Latino president or the scientist that finds a cure for cancer. Inner city kids, I, I truly believe, are some of the most talented 
fantastic human beings and they shouldn't be pushed aside and they should have the same resources as the rich schools and they should be able to have the same uh, opportunities as the kids that come from wealthier families. Like, I don't understand why we don't. There's enough money that the government can do and there's more that we can do. It's just, unfortunately, it's, it's America and we're very divided. And so we see something um, and we don't ask ourselves what's going on behind closed doors. And I always tell people, you want to resolve the, the gang problem. You want to resolve the young women getting pregnant. You want to resolve the drug dealing. Teach them, believe in them. And believe me, once they have a purpose and inspiration, they're not going to want to do that anymore because they're like, you know, hey, Miss Hilly, like I have another road. I don't have to end up like what I know or what I've seen in my life. I could end up like you. Yeah. Somebody that grew up in section A with, you know, I didn't share this, but my father was an alcoholic. Like you, I can end up being a successful Latina with my own identity and I can rewrite the story for me, my family and my future generations. So it's just, it stems from a lot of everything I experienced, it stems from everything I went through in the educational system and the lack of, and that's what we do. We fill in those gaps and we continue to fight for the young people in this country. Oh, oh, that's so much to digest. I have to commend you so much, Hillary, that you gave me chills, first of all, but there, there was a lot in there. So I want to dissect just going back a little bit. So when you first started Rose to Hope, was that in Rhode Island? Is that where you first initiated it? So when we initiated, we init at that point, I was already in New Jersey. So okay. because I had the accident, I physically needed help and I left and I moved in with my mom. Okay. At 25. So I actually originally started in New Jersey. Um, so the 501c, the legalization, the state of New Jersey, but we are um, in five states okay. and we have mentorship sort of um, mentorship groups in all the states that I've been a part of and that I can sort of give back. And we have because I was there for eight years. Um, and so I really wanted to give back as much as I could. And then so I have my kids that I used to teach that now are like 28, 29, which is crazy to me. And then I also went back to a school that really, really supported me. It was a school that I did AmeriCorps that sort of gave me that push. And they just run things very differently compared to the other schools. So then I went back, pitched in the program, and then they um, we work in getting some other students into the program. So, but yes, it, it, it sort of uh, stemmed in New Jersey and then it's kind of spread its wings into different cities. Okay. And is it specific schools in each of these cities that you're working with or how do you find? So not just Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. People say, how do you find your kids? So it's, I really believe it's through the grace of the universe, through God, whoever you believe. I think when you're at the right place at the right time, it kind of comes to you. So I build a really strong reputation of myself as Miss Hillary and also the work that we do. So it's kind of people hear about it and they're like, hey, Miss Hillary, like I'm a teacher and I think my kid would be good or parents or friends of friends of friends or kids of kids of kids. So um a lot of times we have like siblings in the org, we have cousins, we have friends of friends, best friends, but a lot of, so like we have schools we work with, we have centers we work with. New Orleans, that's one of our biggest chapters is run by an incredible man, Coach Parker, who's been my mentor. And he runs 
the oldest center there. And he really focused on really inner city kids in New Orleans. And New Orleans has the highest incarceration rate for minority men. So we partner up because I work a lot with the mental well-being and the spiritual well-being. And we kind of were like, oh my God, we can be a tag team and we can help kids. And so that's kind of how we've kind of spread through recommendations of people through me meeting people me opening extending our doors we never I never wanted to say in-house I wanted to be something different I believe like if I have the resource and opportunity why not spread it through other cities because the U.S. Is, is is interesting you know you can go to New Orleans and see poverty in a way that is bizarre you know that it's it's like unless you've been there you can't even fathom to understand some of the poverty because of Katrina and all that. And then you can go to like the worst cities in New York as well. And then you go to other states where are wealthier and you're just like, well, how, how is this all within the US? So um, it's been through the grace of word, recommendation, me networking. I've been at events where it so happened to be a principal or it so happened to be another nonprofit. And we sort of bonded and we're like, you know, we are in alignment to our mission. Let's kind of connect. So that's kind of how my kids have come to be. Oh, I love it. And do the kids have to apply to be a part of this program or how does that work? Yeah. So what we want to install in them is kind of like the self-teaching, like when they go and apply for work or for any program. So they, what we do is they do basic, you know, their information, but we have them write an essay and we encourage them. I'm not looking for perfect grammar or spelling. I'm looking for them to open up about themselves, to tell us a little bit about themselves. And we have great, uh, um, applications coming in. They also do a two-step interview where they do it. They first meet the, the board and the mentors, and then they meet me. And the reason why we started, at first, we didn't require any of that. And what we noticed is that we wanted the kids to work hard for something. The kids that worked hard for something and got something in return were the kids that stayed longer and were putting the work into the mentorship. When a young person just gets something, but they didn't have to work hard for it, they kind of take it for granted. So I've also learned throughout the five years what works, what doesn't, um, you know, psychology of a young person, you know. Um, so they do have to apply um, and it gives them a sense of like excitement when they're like, hey, but most of the time we've never turned down a kid, to be honest. Right. It's just we get them through the process so they can understand that when they go apply for a job, this is also part of like the life lesson. So everything we do, we try to teach them a lesson behind it mm -hmm. so that when they go out there to the world, they're really prepared for that. And a lot of the stuff they're not being taught at school or at home. So we want to educate them so that they have all the tools, all the core beliefs so that they can succeed. So that's what we do um, as a process. And they can apply online. Um, we have all the forms online in our website, rosetohope.org. We also, if you want to be a mentor volunteer, you would also apply and fill out a form. So um, it's all a process, um, but it's it's very rewarding for them because it's teaching them a huge, huge, huge core lesson when they go out there and apply and how to do that. Oh, I agree a hundred percent. And even I feel like, and we'll get into this in a second. I feel like most of the kids are, they have that entrepreneurial mentality. So they're going to have to be doing that throughout their entire lives anyway. So, and I know that's my next question. Cause I know we keep saying kids, kids, kids. Oh yeah. <laughs> they're 17 to almost 30, correct? So what is that? Yeah. How does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. So I say kids out of cariño, um, out of love, because to me, they're like my kids. I treat them like I would treat my son. 
I pray over them. I stress over them. I cry over when their family member dies with them. I cry over celebration over them. So they literally are like mine. So when I say kids, it's just literally straight out of like, just love out of them. But no, they're not little kids. So yes, we run from 17 to 30. And originally when I started this mentoring, what I noticed is that there was a lack of of nonprofits or sort of uh, mentoring outside of high school. And then, so we're kind of like, okay, we'll help them in high school. And then we're throwing them to the world of like job applying or college. And then what I realized, if you do your research, a lot of them were dropping out the first semester. Suicides were high, depression was high, drug abuse was high, because you're throwing them into a world that they're not, they don't know. Or like relationships. I noticed that a lot of them get into serious relationships in college or after, and some of them are abusive without them realizing that they are. So what I did is I extended it and we kind of categorized into four stages of life high school, college, after college, and then like young, young adult, which is like your late 20s. And they're all different stages of life. We've all been through that where we just needed guidance or mentorship through all those stages. And I always say like, I can, yeah, you can mentor and teach a kid in high school, but if you're not following up with them and kind of going with them, that can just all go down out the window. And every kid needs something different in all the four stages. So, and what happens is once they reach 29, then they become head mentors. And so it's kind of like a beautiful thing. We call it of our family. And I call it, I kind of call it like the, fam the Adams family because literally our kids are so different completely opposite from my kids who are hardcore rockers to my kids who are hardcore like hip-hop and rock but they love each other and uh we're like adam's family and so we we i teach them that it is okay to have a second family some of them this is our their first family because unfortunately they don't have that that core or their parents passed away or they're in jail. So we become that and we just kind of are there for them. Whatever they need, we are available. They always get two mentors. They get me to talk to and then they get um, a mentor. If it's a boy, they get partnered with a boy. If it's a girl, a girl, or within the career perspective um, that they want to pursue or their interest, if it's entrepreneurship, we'll partner up with somebody. Um, and so, or if it's just talking about relationships and kind of that guidance of like, Miss Hilly, I don't know if this is right and or getting their heart broken. We're there for them. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, some of my older kids, like they're like 28, 29, they're having their first child. So then through that process of becoming a parent, like who mentors us and coaches about becoming a parent? Nobody. Yeah, no. So, so, you know, one of my other girls is medical school. She's, she just turned 32. She's my oldest. She's been with me for eight years. She just got engaged. And so that excitement of like, so we're with them throughout that step. And I think that what makes us so special and so unique because most program end, I call it kind of an expiration day and I'm like no I refuse to have that I'm like if the kids want me till they're like 50 then I'm happy to be there for them you know and it's really like I'm very fortunate that I install that sense of unity of family and them because I think we all need that to grow and be just a good productive citizen to know that there's people out there that care for us and that you know I always call like, I always tell them like remember you have an army in all of us so whatever you need we're here we got your back yeah. and that's super rewarding so that's how kind of how it works so yes it's a range of ages okay. a range of religions culture sexuality cities states but it's a beautiful thing because when we come together we're one and they're learning so much from each other and that's how we're building compassion and kindness 
And in a world that is so divisive and so racist right now and so divided, we are coming in saying, we can have our differences, we can look different, but at the end of the day, we all bleed the same and we all have a heart and we need to unite and be there for one another. We have to have each other's back. Oh, I love it. I love, I'm, you can't see me girlfriends, but I'm, sh- <laughs> I'm like shaking my head. Like, yeah. <laughs> Going back a little bit, because I know you were saying like within college and even me with my own experiences, like with my friends in college, we were lost. Like we were absolutely lost. Um, I went to the University of Miami. It was a huge school. Um, my, my girlfriends are, I'm a woman of color. I'm Latina. Um, most of my friends were all either women or, or men of color. We were completely lost. Half of my friends dropped out. I had friends that got pregnant, dropped out. Like it, lost when I tell you lost and on campus because it wasn't like as in high school even in high school I was a little lost too but I felt like there was more mm-hmm. uh, how do I explain it at least in my perspective there was more you, you had to go to high school like you were forced to go if you went you were forced okay. to go. yeah you had to be there in college you really didn't like you uh-huh. didn't really have to show up no one's checking on like where were you um so you could really fall off even if you yeah. didn't go to college so I understand what, I feel like that age group and even after graduating, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm even more lost then. Like you just get more and more. So having something like this, especially for us, I feel like is so important. That definitely drew me to you as well because yeah. it is almost an older age group and you don't really find that. Oh. No. age group is lost. Yeah, we're one of the few programs that I research have done that I'm like, we really stay with them and we don't ever say, well, hey, you're done. We kick you out, we get a new one I mean I just think like you said like college is hard and our high schools are not preparing them at all like their freshman year they're learning to like some of my kids that are like like the A-star students in high school are now like, holy crap, Ms. Hillary, thank you for like teaching me time management and how to do a research paper. I'm like, guys, high school is very different. It's like two worlds completely separate. And that's always been like my beef with high school education. And I'm like, we're not sending them off to succeed. We're just not, or even if they decide not to go to college, which should be a right that every young person should say, you know what, I could be successful and I am smart, but maybe college is not for me and I can study and I can have a mentor and teach me business and start my own business and start e-commerce but we don't we don't set them up and then unfortunately colleges there's no human connections professors really half of the time don't even know your name they don't know where you come from there's a few very good ones that you get to know but they're also overwhelmed with the amount of classes they get it's kind of like we are such a robotic system and then there's therapy and counseling in college but it's not really advocated for so then you don't know where to turn and if you get a kid, any kid will tell you this, they come from an inner city, it happened to me, you come from an inner city area where you're so used to kind of seeing your color and then you're thrown to like a sort of more rich white college, that's hard to even deal with. Being the only one of color and then having to explain yourself or, uh, you know, having to work. Like I remember my freshman year, my roommate was like, why do you have to work so much? Just come out and party. I was like, "Uh, because I have to work and I have to study. That's my story. And at the time, I didn't even have a, I didn't get a laptop till my junior year of college. And I tell this to my kids, I lived in the library. Like I knew if I wanted this, I had to hustle and grind and find every ways, but I didn't have anyone to talk to. And so most of my kids also don't feel comfortable because they're kind of brushed off or, you know, they go and talk to someone, but they don't even look at them. (laughs) And kids, I think once you have that human connection, 
And you, you know, there's times where they come to me and I'm like, I mean, I know the answer, but I'll find it for you. I'll be there with you. There's been times where some of them are like, Masilia, I feel like committing suicide. What do I do? And I'm like, okay, so we'll find you the help that you need, but know that you're worthy of being here or they have tragedies in their family. I mean, how do you, how do you go with like, you lose your mom out of nowhere. Now there's a pandemic. Now there's a virus. It's so unpredictable. It's so uncertain. How can we as schools not provide that emotional for them? They're just kind of mechanics. We're training them to be robotics and we can't do that. We cannot teach kids to be robotics. We need to first make sure that mentally they're doing well, that emotionally second, spiritually, and then academics will come. For me, I think academics should be the last thing. Even my son at five, I teach him affirmations. I try to build him up because I know the world is going to, tear that apart but I'm trying to 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 to, for him to believe he looks in the mirror he's like I'm so handsome I'm so smart (laughs) stuff that I didn't learn right and I teach my kids now because that's the world we live and so we have to stop thinking of young people as revived and then when they do something wrong or they become the gangs or the young girls get pregnant and we're like oh my god they're just troublemakers oh my god it's just the life that they want let's look at their parents no we can't do that we can't a kid is a product of its environment. Mm-hmm. But if you give them the tools and the support and the belief, 100%, they will turn their life around. 100% because we've seen it. It only takes one person, just one person to say, I believe in you. It's okay. I'll cry with you. Cry all you need. Just the other day, one of my girls cried. She just needed to cry. I just let her cry. Yeah, it's funny because her mom came in the background and in Spanish was like, I stop crying. You have to get over it. And I was like, oh, no. So then we had to talk about that. She's like, I know my mom means best. I have to forgive her, but it's okay. Miss Hillary is teaching me that crying is not a weakness. And that's it. I held the space for her over the phone. She cried for literally half an hour. Then we talked about it. And then she was able to do her schoolwork. So the simplicity of that is super important. And I really um for me I realize now that I'm 35 I have nothing to lose I have you know the beautiful thing and I'm sure you understand is when you are your own boss you have nothing to lose so now you I can't get written up I can't get fired so you don't like what I'm saying you want to go against the grain and tell me I'm wasting my time with my hood kids and say what you want to say but I'm going to keep advocating because I know what I've seen I know we need them whether you like it or not and I always tell people when you go to the ER right? When you go to the ER, you don't question that doctor that's seeing you that's trying to save your life. I have kids that come from the hood that are in medical school right now who aspire to be that kid. So, so we need to start thinking that, yes, like they are our future and we need them. And how can we support them even more, especially this year? I think it's been one of the hardest years. Sorry. There's something. Oh, you're fine. So, Um, But this year is out of all the 15 years I've been doing the amount of anxiety and depression is out of the, out of, out of the roof. So we need to like, I really, and I want to eventually after this, talk about this more and more and more because we have to get ready. Pandemics can happen. Life can be upside down. We're not teaching kids what to do with unpredictableness. Like, what do you do if your life from one month to another changes? You're going to school January, February, suddenly there's a deadly virus. Everyone go stay home. (laughs) What do you, as adults, we don't even know what we're doing. So imagine the kids right now. I I can't even imagine. 
Um, and that yeah. actually leads me into my next question. Well, first of all, I want to say I had girlfriends, you don't know, but in the intro, I, I just mentioned, I'll, I'll mention it in the intro, uh, but I had the pleasure of being on a call with Hillary and her kids and they are a beyond the questions that they were asking me. I was completely blown away. They are so passionate and so serious about what they're looking to do in life. It, it, it made me want to be a better person. Like I was like, these kids are so good. And I know Hillary, this is, this is where my question is going to go, but I know you do a lot of in-person events. So mm -hmm. what are you doing right now? Like, how has this affected you? What are you guys doing? Yeah, this is a great question. So I try to do hands-on because I know that taking them out of their house or their environment is kind of, you know, we do this big project every summer, which this year I'll talk about what we did. Mm -hmm. I think part of life is adjusting and going, I tell them like, if you can't sail the way you wanted to, then you just adjust your sailing. Like you just adjust the boat. And so that's what we've kind of done. You know, January, we did our last fundraiser event in February. This was crazy. We did our last one in February and then we were getting ready to open an office that was like a dream come true and then all that kind of was taken away when March hit wow. and it was very disheartening like we had spent so much time so much money doing this and, and all that but it was like okay as long as everyone is safe and safety we'll listen to the experts and do what's best because long term I always tell them it might feel like so overwhelming short term but we have to see always a positive in the long term so what we did, we did best is I, we created the fireside chats where every Friday, so when the pandemic really hit, we had to quarantine. So everyone was at home <laughs> with like the news going 24 seven. It was always negativity, social media negativity. It was so much fear and anxiety being spread that I was like, okay, I need to do something positive and kind of counter everything that they're listening to here, which with all right, the families were freaking out because even I was kind of like, where, where are we going? What are we doing? And unfortunately, I don't think we had enough leadership in the government to kind of guide us through what's going on. So we did the fireside chat. So every Friday we had a speaker via Zoom and they would come on, just share their story like yourself. You were fantastic and the kids really adored you and loved you. You just share your story. It was like an hour, an hour and a half. Sometimes it went on longer because the ages, the questions were so phenomenal. They were really engaged and it kind of gave them that inspiration. So they looked forward to something. So even though like Wednesday they were like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. They're like, oh, but Friday we have a call with Miss Hillary. We're super excited. I wouldn't tell them who the speaker was to kind of build up that excitement. So they didn't know who was coming. We had uh, like we had um, Audrey, uh, who's uh, the Latina um, actress from Blind Spot from NBC talk show. We had entrepreneurs. We had scientists. I mean, we had like amazing people come and just be real and honest and transparent. We had a beautiful singer, uh, Hello. Um, who was a Colombian singer come and do like a concert for them. <laughs> so we try to make it super in, in, interactive, even if it was via Zoom. And some of them don't have laptops, but they have phones. So the great thing is that we adjusted to what they had. We did it for them. I send them care packages to kind of get them through like little things that I knew each of them liked. And they were really bummed out with the Rose Initiative. Rose Initiative is one of the major projects we're known for is when we fly in all of our kids from all different chapters, we house them um, in New York, New, in New Jersey. We take them to 15 plus companies. We've gone to Rock Nation, we've gone to La Mega, we've gone to Univision, People in Espanol series. We've gone to amazing companies. They get a tour, they get to meet CEOs, they get goodie bags. This year we couldn't do it. 
And so we did it all virtually. So for four days, we had, you were one of them, actually. I don't know if you knew this, but you were one of our main speakers for the Rose Initiative. I did and know was, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was four intense days and it was loaded with stuff and they all got their goodies. We made sure each of them got a special box and it was just phenomenal. And then within that, I decided to do the programs all virtually. So now we're running 15 plus programs. They get to sign up for as many as they'll like. And so they look forward to the fireside chats. Then they look forward to their programs. Within each program, they're doing special projects or assignments, or um, they're getting to meet people that specialize within that program. They're getting sort of kind of like their brains are being fed a little bit and they're, they're getting inspired. So that's holding them, you know, because for a lot of them, people don't realize sometimes school is like they're saving grace. So yeah. being at home 24 seven, it's just hard and not having that human. And some of my kids are okay being alone. They're kind of like the introvert loners. And then some of my kids are like antsy, like uh, Miss Hillary, like I, I just need, so I, really just kind of try to adjust everything according to their needs and that's what we've been doing and it's been a huge huge success like massive so much massive that I think even when things sort of get normal I think we're still going to run it because it's a it's an amazing thing to get all of them in one screen and like you see some of them haven't even met in person yet but they already are friends um, like how's Rhode Island weather and how is New Orleans like it's super cute you know because obviously east coast is cold New Orleans is super hot so it, it's super cute to see their interaction it's cute they're like it's kind of you see them like be excited about something they're learning they're being inspired and they're each doing something on their own time because and they also have the mentor so they have me and I just make sure that mentally they're doing well um we talk about what's going on they kind of get that dose and then they get their other mentor within what they're interested in studying or interested in doing and then they're getting to do some research about how to start a business trademarking all that stuff so we're giving them enough stuff so that they're excited and they want to do it and so that's what we actually been adjusting to doing all these months and honestly it's been very very successful like more than I expected and I'm excited. Um, I, I, there's no excuse for me not to adjust. I have to be the prime person to show them that it could be done. And I take that accountability very serious. I don't practice what I don't preach. And so I just kind of had to put my thinking cap and be like, set up the whole year be like, okay, it did not go exactly how I planned. We lost the office, unfortunately. But you know what? That's okay. Because I know God, has, the universe has bigger plans. And one of my kids is like, Miss Hillary, I'm going to become rich and I'm going to donate a building. <laughs> so it's, it's okay. But for me, their well-being is the most important thing. Their well-being. And, um, you know, we have serious conversations. You know, we talk about emotions and sad and anger and depression and the blues and um, and we need to have those conversations. So yeah, it's been really, it's, I even look forward to it. I'm not going to lie. Like it's, I look I'm super excited. I get, when I see them all in the screen, it's like, oh, my kids all together. I just, I miss hugging them. I miss doing the fundraiser dinners, the events we get invited. I do miss that terribly, but I always tell them we will get back to that. Let's just kind of ride this wave and just be safe for ourselves and others. Because I tell them the accountability is also to be safe for others, to think of others before we think of ourselves. And I think that's the main point that we're forgetting during this pandemic, that it's not only about you, it's about others. And so my kids, 
And I think in the inner city areas, they're learning that firsthand, especially now. And what a great story to tell, like, you know, um, when they get older. Some of them had virtual graduations in June, which they were soup, they didn't have proms. We didn't even talk, they didn't have proms, they didn't have their graduation parties or their, but I'm like, it's okay. You guys have more to celebrate as, you know, you guys get older. So that was an adjustment to the virtual graduations were a bummer. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. But by you being there for them, I'm sure that was, that was huge. Yeah. Yeah. I think they know again, like we've installed that I'm always there for them. I'm always available to them. Um, my phone is always on. It doesn't matter. Cause we realize that right now it's like in a, in a moment, if we feel it as adults, those moments where we're super depressed and super low. And if a young person's feeling that and they don't have somebody to vent to, it can get scary. And that's when we're like, no, like you use us if they're doing something, like if one of my kids is like involved in something that they love, maybe it's robotics or STEM or business, then their minds are flowing and it makes all the outdoor noise be okay with us. So I, yeah, I'm very fortunate that they know that I'm there for them. And they're also there for me. I mean, I'll be honest, they're my inspiration. You know, I have my illness. So there's days where I can't even physically get out of bed. And I'm like, no, I got to get up and I, I have to do this or I have to work. Like they give me, I always tell them, they'll tell you that I've inspired them, that I've helped them. Some of them will tell you I'm alive because I'm silly, but I always remind them that I'm grateful to them because they are my inspiration they are the ones that make me fight harder with my illness make me fight and advocate more for their rights and for the type of education that I feel like they deserve and earned and for adults to believe in them so I will as long as I have my voice even then I think I'll just do signs I always tell them they always make them laugh like don't worry I may not be able to walk one day but as long as I have my voice and if I don't have my voice I'll just make signs and if not I can just type it up and they're like gosh Miss Ellie, like, you're not gonna you know we always I try to make it as funny and I try to remind them of that because it's not a one-way street I really like they give me and any speaker that comes or any mentors like Hillary, like, holy, like, that's just what I needed. I'm like, just that hour with your kids, it just makes me want to work harder. It makes me realize that my story can re just sharing your story, just your time. It's such a, like, they see it as such a big deal. And like when you came, they're like, oh my God, like she's been on QVC. Oh my God. I love her. Like, it's such, I tell people, like, you don't realize it's such a big deal, but for them, it's like a big deal. So yeah. thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> well, I, I love everything you're doing, Hillary. You are such an inspiration, honestly. And I just want to put out there. So if anyone wants to help or what is the best way if someone's looking to kind of help with Rose to Hope or do something with you guys, what can they do? Absolutely. So they can um, find us um, in our website, rose2hope.org, the number two. Um, so R-O-S-E, number two, and then hope.org. Um, there's a volunteer tab. And I encourage everyone to visit us. The mentee stories are there, so you can even get to know, and they're very honest and transparent, all the work that we do. Um, so there's a tab there for volunteer mentorship. You can just fill it out, we'll come to us, or you can always reach out to us in all of our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook. I always answer them. And we're always looking for mentors, tutors, speakers. Right now we're doing our biggest act of kindness drive. That's one of the 
think that also makes us really special. We teach the kids to give without expecting anything in return and that there's always necessity. So because of the holidays and the pandemic and this year, we're doing, uh, we're supporting 100 plus families, whether that's groceries or just gifts for the kids or school supplies, something as simple as that. It's some of the kids don't have. And so we're really just, you know, whether that's your time, whether that's your knowledge, your story, $5, um, donations uh, in any shape or form, you can help in sometimes the smallest acts go such a long way. So please visit us and check us out. And we, you know, really, we wouldn't be able to do this without like your support and everyone else that supports us and believes in the mission and what we do. And also, and that's, it's, I'm like, I didn't even know about that other part. <laughs> And there's more. You're, thank you so much, Hillary. But if there's someone out there that's listening and they feel like they qualify for the program as a mentee, what can they do? Absolutely. So for that as well, there's a form online. They can visit us again at rosetohope.org. Fill out the Fenty, uh, sorry, the, the Fenty, the mentee form. Um, or as well, they can email the Rose to Hope at Gmail or send us a DM. I mean, right now, social media is key. So feel free to DM, say, hi, I'm interested. I'm a young person or, you know, I'm a young adult and I, I really would love to check this out or get more information. You would get a message back, an email back, and then you would connect with us. So social media is great. DM is great. Email or just through the form in our um, server um, on the website. Oh, that's awesome. You make it very easy. So that's good. So glow friends, we try. I will have everything in the show notes, all of the information so you guys can click on there and contact Hillary. Uh, but Hillary, thank you so much for being here with me today. And I would just like one more thought from you. Anyone that's out there listening that may have gone through what you've gone through or, or, or what your mentees are going through, can you leave us with a message? I'm putting on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the best though. So first and foremost, before I say that, thank you, because I think you're phenomenal and for having this podcast, I've also had the honor to meet you and see you grow through your process. And you're by far one of the most humble human beings that gives back. And we always love your bags. And actually I was able to gift some of my girls your um, God's plan this year. So that was really special. So thank you for what you do and having us. It's a really privileged and blessing. Um, but you know, the biggest message I believe is there's a reason for everything. And I think that you can decide to always be the light for, for somebody else or for within yourself. And that's a decision you make every single day. I think as long as we're waking up and our eyes are opening, no matter what's going on, you know, there's days I can't even walk, but I look at it as like, okay, well today my eyes are open and it's okay. I also think that it's okay to feel the heavy weight of the emotions and be okay with that. Be okay with being still and be okay with writing your emotions. But know please that no matter what age you are, whether you're five or 15 or 50 or 80, you're meant for a higher purpose in this earth. And if you're going through this right now, which is probably one of the hardest years to mankind, <laughs> um, it's because you're destined for greatness and something will come out of this. I will promise you that. But every, just take it day by day and look for resources. Please don't keep this to yourself, whether that's venting to a friend, finding a therapist, online resources, listening to podcasts, reading a book, writing, journaling, taking a bath, like whatever it is. But please know that you are worthy for greatness and that you are loved and that we will get through this and we will have a better world like people ask me all the time do you really believe that we'll get back to being united I do believe and you have we have our faith and hope has to be at the highest level 
ever. It's like when you put the volume off for a song you like, that's our faith and hope right now. And so I encourage everyone just to like, just remember that we're almost ending this year. There's always hope and faith for next year. Just look with excitement and be the light. Oh, that was awesome. Thank you. So this by far was one of my favorite interviews. <laughs> so, so much for being here with us. And Thank you. Again. Thank you. Thank you.